afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up and welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler, he's Luke, and today we get to talk about an incredible weekend of college football, starting with Notre Dame's comeback win over the South Carolina Gamecocks in the Gator Bowl by a final score of 45-38. to That was an awesome game, and it had so many ups and downs, but in the end, it was a really fun 60 minutes of college football, and fortunately, the Irish were able to come out on top, despite... Multiple instances where they tried to shoot themselves in the foot, but it doesn't matter. A win's a win, especially in a bowl game like that. And then the following day, we were treated to two of the best semifinal games in the college football playoff era. So we'll talk a little bit about those games at the end. But Luke, I've got to ask, as we record this on Sunday night, are you all footballed out? You got any left in the tank? Uh, no, I don't think I am. Um, I don't actually have any desire to watch the NFL, but that's besides the point. But no, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not footballed out. <laughs> That's good to hear, too, because we got another great day of college football on Monday, which is technically today for a lot of you listening. Uh, And I'm looking forward to that, too. We've got a great slate of games. But before we get going here, please like the video below and subscribe to our channel if you're watching on YouTube or subscribe to the podcast if that's how you're tuning in. Here's a quick word from our friends at Roback, and then when we come back, we'll discuss our biggest takeaways from Notre Dame's ninth and final win of the 2022 season. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback. For those who crave activity, use the promo code SUNSND to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. Roback's been an awesome partner for us all season. They recently gifted us a sweatshirt, a couple quarter zips, and the Shamrock pullout, which was really sick, and, and I can't recommend it more. Um, and I would really recommend to all of our listeners to check out their apparel again at Roback.com. The promo code you can use to get 20% off your next order is SUNSND at Roback, R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Okay, Luke, there's so much that happened in the game on Friday, but now that it's been a couple of days, uh, what is your biggest takeaway from Notre Dame's win? The simple answer here is that it was just a really fun game, um, and especially for a game that didn't have a ton of buildup, at least not from the Notre Dame side of things. Um, I think that was surprising. And that kind of show with a turnout from South Carolina – it's the only game I can remember in a while where I didn't know a single Notre Dame fan there. Granted, Jacksonville is a dump, and who wants to go down there? But um, it's a lot closer for South Carolina, obviously, too, but I really didn't know anybody down there, and that's pretty rare. Despite all that and a few exceptions within the game that we'll get to later, it was a really fun watch, and it just kind of felt like a peak bowl game, I guess, and typically we don't end up on the right side of those, so that was nice. <laughs> that was refreshing. That's very true. Especially in a bowl game. I mean, both teams are pulling out all the stops. We saw trick plays from both sides digging deep into the playbook in this one. And it was a really fun game. Entertaining. Um, it was a really long game, but ton of points. Notre Dame doesn't usually come out on top in those, but they did this time. 
there was a lot of momentum from the South Carolina side, and you could see that in the crowd. When they first showed it, I, I was almost like shocked at how many South Carolina fans were there. It really felt like a home game for them. It is a little bit closer, but were you surprised that even if the buildup wasn't that great, I guess we're just not used to seeing Notre Dame completely dominated in the crowd for a game that's at a neutral site? I don't know that I was surprised because nobody cared about this game, to be totally honest. We're kind of used to playing in New Year's Six Bowls or, or college football playoffs, so it just doesn't have the same vibe to it. South Carolina hasn't been very good lately, so of course they were going to have a bigger turnout. So, yeah, I guess it's a little surprising to see Notre Dame totally outnumbered like that, but it wasn't – surprising is not the right word, jarring, but I wasn't all that surprised given everything surrounding it. Well, the fans might not have cared about it, but I think the players and coaches definitely did, and that showed during the game and after the game, seeing how happy the players were after they won. And that sort of leads me into my biggest takeaway because, for me, I think the story of this game was the adjustments Notre Dame made at halftime and in the second half because coming into this game, you and I had talked about it, I don't think on the podcast, but just via text, Notre Dame had been outscored as a team in the second half by their opponents this season. When you first said that to me, I was like, what? Then you think about it a little bit more, and it actually makes sense. It's the first time since 2016 that Notre Dame had been outscored in a half over a full season, and there's several obvious instances where Notre Dame got thoroughly outplayed in the second half. Ohio State, BYU, Navy, they immediately come to mind, and part of that can be attributed to having a first-year head coach, figuring things out with a lot of new guys on the staff, a backup quarterback playing for most of the season, but that's still not acceptable for a team like Notre Dame. And in this game... Notre Dame did not come out of the gates hot. They were down 21-7, to and things were not looking too great. But then Notre Dame made adjustments after the half, and they just put it on South Carolina in the second half. They outgained the Gamecocks 355 to 100 yards. Offensively, they stopped shooting themselves in the foot for the most part. But defensively is what really impressed me. They started throwing different pressures at Carolina. It worked. Rattler was rattled, which he was not in the first half. And this type of performance shows growth by the coaching staff and honestly the players deserve a ton of credit too because they didn't get down they leaned into their identity they trust their coaches and it showed in what was a really impressive second performance uh I thought they definitely made adjustments um that were very impressive especially when you consider how awful awful the defense looked in the first half so you do have to give Al Golden a lot of credit there because for as bad as it was in the first half, they kind of just shut South Carolina's offense down completely in the second half. That that does kind of bring me to the next point. You know, when Notre Dame went down twenty one seven, I didn't really like think that game was spiraling out of control by any means. Um, I thought it was kind of fluky after a fake punt touchdown, which was really bad coaching, by the way. I don't know why we ever thought they were going to punt on the twenty three yard line. Um, <laughs> And but it was just fluky with that in the pick six. But I don't know if you felt differently when they went down twenty one seven. I just I I felt like okay, eventually they're gonna they're gonna figure this out. I did too. And the fact that they were scoring on a pick six that was a tip ball and the fake field goal punt, whatever the hell that was. Yeah, Notre Dame should have called the timeout there. They didn't. I actually have the text to prove it though that I wasn't that nervous. One of my coworkers played at South Carolina. His name's Javion Duncan. He graduated, I think, in twenty nineteen and. We were talking shit to each other in the lead up to the game. And when Notre Dame went down 21-7, he texted me and just said, you good, bro? And I replied, yeah, because we're going to win. He said, you don't believe that? I replied, yes, I do. Now, part of that was a front. Admittedly, I didn't know how confident I was in the moment. But 
Uh, I think an underrated moment in this game was Blake Groupie's field goal to cut it from from 21-7 to 21-10 because I I had about 0% confidence that he was going to knock that down. And if he had missed it, it really would have taken the wind out of the sails even more for Notre Dame. So that was an underrated moment. Cut the lead to 11, or cut the deficit to 11, rather. South Carolina is able to respond with another field goal, but it really prevented things getting too out of reach for Notre Dame. And I think on that opening drive by South Carolina, I couldn't help but laugh at just how comically easy it was for them to just dice us up and go down the field. But hey, credit to the team, credit to the staff for not letting that get the better of them in that moment and and responding really well after being down two touchdowns. Right, and and that's exactly what they did. Um, And yeah, I mean, to be honest... (laughs) It, I know we're going to get into Tyler Buckner here and just kind of his overall performance. If he doesn't throw the second pick six, that game might be a three score game. Uh, like it could have been 52 to 31, honestly. So it really was just a tale of two games within the same game almost. Yeah, let's let's just get right into it. Tyler Buckner, it was the biggest storyline coming into this game on the Notre Dame side of things because just his whole career arc and how limited we had seen him or how limited action he's had up to this point. And we talked a bit about this in the uh, preview. It's hard to tell, like hard to know what to expect from him in this game. He had a really up and down day, but he ultimately won the MVP of the game, which is a little surprising. But then again, like who else are you going to give it to? So how would you assess his performance overall? Kind of like the game itself. I thought he played pretty well with some notable exceptions. I don't know what people expected from him after three months out, but I thought it was a strong performance for a kid who really hasn't played that much. Yes, particularly the second um, pick six was was quite bad, but I'm just kind of tired of negativity surrounding him. Like, why, why are we bitching about this? Um, he won the game. It was basically an away game too, like an SEC road game down there with the way the crowd was. And it was his third career start ever. And he won the game. And like you said, he ended up winning MVP. So I just got kind of tired of seeing all this negativity surrounding him and hearing it after because just what, what are you doing? Can you just be happy for two seconds? I like that you're taking the optimistic side of things. This is nice. <laughs> but one thing I, that bothered me about Buckner and everything, the the talk about him, was how quickly people were writing him off, like after the second game. And trust me, the Marshall game was bad. But again, what did you expect in that Ohio State game in the season opener? Like now, especially thinking about what Ohio State has become and what they looked like yesterday, that performance is even more impressive. But Really happy for him that he was able to start the game, play the full game, and finish it out. Hell, that's only the second time that's happened for him since 2019. He just hasn't played a ton of football in his life because his senior year of high school was a wash because of COVID. Then he plays a little bit as a true freshman, but he doesn't start and end one game at all. Then this year he's got one full game against Ohio State and then like three quarters of a game against Marshall and then four months off. Like it's just a lot to ask for a guy. We didn't really have a great idea of his health. And at the beginning, when Notre Dame wasn't running him a ton, I was like, okay, is he fully healthy? But then they started running some design runs to him, and I was like, okay, he's healthy. And I thought, overall, yes, there were some really bad plays. I think you have to be happy with his performance if you're a Notre Dame fan. Definitely. They won the game, too. So just, like, go in the offseason happy. Also with the understanding that you're getting probably a really strong quarterback to come in here in the next week or so. So – I don't understand why harping on everything. It's just it's it's a waste of energy, frankly. But yeah, he clearly was healthy. I mean, they ran a four yard QB sneak with him. So um, yeah, that brought figure. me back to the uh, the Charlie Weiss days. We haven't seen yeah. that in a long time. We used to do that with Brady Quinn. Yeah, yeah, kind of that old 
different style of quarterback, but yeah. Yeah. Um, other than Buckner, you know, I don't know about you. There were a couple other players who I thought played really well. Jaden Thomas, I, I thought had a great game. Um, I think he had five catches total. Just one of them was really tough. I think he just looks like a really solid receiver, which I don't know if any of us expected going into this season. Really, just kind of a strong culmination for uh, for what was a strong sophomore season. Logan Diggs probably had a case to win the MVP. Honestly, yeah, that's um, probably himself. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Jordan Matello got a lot more action with Isaiah Foskey out, and and he produced at a very high level. He had two sacks, seemed to be all over the field. I think his havoc or his win rate or something like that was like twenty percent in this game. So um, he played very well, and and that's promising to see going into next season where he's going to have to play a bigger role. Without a doubt, he might be the starting Viper next year. And I want to get to Patello, and I also want to talk a little about about Bertrand, but I want to talk about the offensive guys first. I mean. We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but Jane Thomas in the Gator Bowl finishes with five catches, 67 yards, and it's yet another example that he has clearly surpassed Lorenzo Styles in the wide receiver room hierarchy. Like, can you, if you had told me that before the season, I would have been floored. And part of it is disappointment in Styles and the season that he's had, but also we have to give credit to Thomas because that third down play that you're mentioning, that was also one of Buckner's best plays of the game. He's getting pressured can't really see down the field because he's got a guy right in his face, throws it practically sidearm. It was third down. Thomas makes a great contested catch. I don't think he's had a drop this season. He, Again, I, think I, a, saw, I think I saw a tweet saying that, actually. Yeah. I mean, he's not getting like the targets that Michael Mayer was getting, but still, he had to make a lot of contested catches. He did. And it was kind of feast or famine with the Notre Dame offense. Um, Brain Lindsey, what a way to go out. Um, he tweeted after the game that his football career is over. He's not entertaining the NFL. He finishes with four catches, 89 yards, finally gets that deep ball touchdown that he's basically been robbed of like four of them this season. Uh, but great play by him. Great throw by Buckner there as well. Gave Lindsay the opportunity to go get it with two defenders near him. And he's not going to be around the team next year, but I, he's had a, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say his career has been a disappointment because that would be a disservice to him. But it felt like there was... You always wanted a little bit more from him, and then he went out in a great way, and uh, I was really happy for him. Well, it also felt like they used him in that game how they should have all season. They ran a sweep with him, which they had not done all year. They ran the fake punt with him, obviously, which was also a, a, a sweep as well. And it's a little bit confusing. Maybe they just with Drew Pine back there didn't feel comfortable doing that sort of stuff. But I don't. I would actually think you would want to do more of that. I, I don't know. Um, but I felt like they finally used him how they should have all year. And, and yes, you're right. Of course, Buckner finally connected with him on a deep ball. Yeah, it uh, it was kind of like a full circle moment, especially after that one in the Marshall game where it could have totally changed the course of the entire Notre Dame season if they connect there. It didn't happen. They connected here. So good for Lindsey. Logan Diggs, man, and Audric Estime as well. Estime, I believe, was the leading rusher by six yards. Um, but Diggs had more total yards because he took that flat route to the house. Our running back room is so, it's so good. It's in such a good place with Estime, Diggs, and I mean, how the way some people talk about Price, it makes you think that he could be one of the best, like he's going to be in the rotation next year. I don't know what the plan is for Chris Tyree. Personally, I think they should just move him to the slot permanently and make him a pass catcher because he had a critical third down catch late in the game that set up the Mitchell Evans touchdown. And I just think he'd be way more useful there. But anyway, that's that's beside the point. I don't want to take too many like big picture takeaways from this game as it applies to next season. But one of the things that I'm really excited about is the young skill guys on offense. And when was the last time we've been able to say that? 
I don't remember. Um, it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but particularly that running back room, like Diggs, I, I fully expected on that fire. I'm like, okay, one guy, like he's going to get him there. He's going to get caught there. And it yeah, just there was just happened. nobody there. Yeah. There was nobody because it, it kind of looked like he was moving in slow motion too, to be honest with you. So um, I'm kind of shocked he took that all the way. Yeah, now that that was a really great game by him. And going back to Buckner real quick, and why I think he's going to have a role next season. When Notre Dame ran out that 21 personnel, and they're in the shotgun, and Buckner's flanked by Diggs and Estime, and that's basically three running backs in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah. and if if they bring that out next year, like Buckner is lethal in the red zone. That one touchdown he had where he ran it in and was juking out defenders, like he he is such a skilled player with the ball in his hands. He like a lot of guys who are quarterbacks when they run the ball, they like just they don't look like running backs. They look like quarterbacks running the ball. Now that's not to say they're not effective, but Buckner is just a little bit different. He also went out of bounds. He was sliding, which is obviously really good to see because that hasn't always been the case with him. But I think that performance showed that with or without Hartman there is a serious role for Tyler Buckner on the team next year and beyond. And I I think that yesterday we finally got some proof of that, that we've kind of been waiting for, for a really long time to actually see it on display for 60 minutes. Totally. Yeah. And you know, we talked about his mistakes earlier, but I I think you're right. He will have a role on that team next year, um, regardless of if he's a starter and they don't bring somebody in or if, um, the guy who should be named later or will be discussed at a later date does come in. I, I do think he'll still have a role there. It honestly wouldn't shock me if, like, tomorrow when we release this episode, the Hartman news becomes official. But we'll see. Don't want to jinx it. Let's go back to the defensive side of the ball because you mentioned Botello. Really great game for him and a really important game for him and Notre Dame because without Isaiah Foskey, that Viper position is open. I don't know what the status is on Justin Adamiola. Obviously, Notre Dame asked him to come back. They really need him to come back. But it was good to see that even if he doesn't come back, if Botello can live up to the game he played yesterday and his potential, Notre Dame might have something there. Right. That's it's exactly what I said earlier. Um, he really didn't play that much this year, but when he did, he was productive. So it's good to see him get some, you know, even more action and really produced on top of that. I mentioned J.D. Bertrand earlier. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit for his performance, especially in the first half. We focus a lot on what he isn't and rarely what he is. And I think on this year's team, he's unquestionably the best linebacker on the team. Now, I know there's guys behind him that are more athletic, probably have a higher ceiling like Prince Colley and Jalen Sneed. Jalen Sneed didn't have a great game. Now, granted, he's still a true freshman. I'm not saying that's going to be the way that his career pans out at all. I think he's going to be really impressive. But you got to give credit to Bertrand. He's going to be back next year. It's going to be critical. He's going to be a captain again. And he finishes with... Um, I believe it was eight total tackles. Yeah, five solo, half a TFL, and a really good game that that capped off what was a really frustrating season for him at times, especially with the targetings. Uh, but good on him for ending it strong and, and giving the defense a much-needed boost at the linebacker position. Yeah, he really should have gotten one last targeting. That would have been great to see. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wait, how would that work? Would that carry over into next oh, yeah. season? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Skalski was suspended for the first half of the 2020 opener for Clemson because his should be, yeah got, he should be suspended. I mean he perpetuity. should have been he should have been kicked out of football. Period. Is he still playing somewhere? I really hope not. He's probably like in the Canadian Football League or something. Let's let's see here that douchebag um, James Skalski. He is he's on the Colts. Interesting. He's probably practice squad, right? Um, he's actually, yeah, there's no stats. So, uh, presumably, yes, he's probably like a tackling dummy that just loves the contact. (laughs) 
Um, but anyway, back to this game. Yeah, I, I thought J.D. Bertrand had another good game. I want to give a shout-out to Xavier Watts. He's really come out in the second half. When, when Ben Morrison went down, I was like, oh, God. Uh, it looked like a concussion. He was on the field after the game, so I don't think it, it's too serious. But um, Clarence Sewis came in. I think he got beat. But the cornerbacks, that's going to be a little bit of a question next year. Uh, they know they've got two really good players in Cam Hart and uh, Ben Morrison, obviously. But Jane Mickey, much maligned on this podcast and others. He had a big tackle on third down. So those are some guys that I want to give a shout-out to on defense. Anyone else for you? I think that I think that tops it pretty much, yeah. All right, so we don't want to make any huge big picture things that that we're going to carry into next season. I think that's people get that confused all the time that like winning a game in the in the Gator Bowl is going to carry over and change how next season goes. That's not the case, but I do think that there's going through those off season workouts is probably a lot more fun or a lot better coming off a win as opposed to a loss, especially a loss like Notre Dame suffered last season when they completely blew it against Oklahoma State, but. Sort of on that note, we were talking about the young guys a lot. Is there anything from this game that has you really excited for next season? What you said right there is really it. And so it's not anything that I think necessarily can just be tangibly carried into next season. But the fact that they did end the season with the win is just really critical. And, you know, the college football season, we talked about it last time, it's really not that long compared to, like, games-wise, compared to the rest of the calendar year. So you have to think about that for quite a while when you lose your last game. So just having that win to go in the offseason is really big, just from a, a mental standpoint, I would think. Yeah, I thought what the offense did yesterday was really impressive, and they're going to only lose three starters. They lose Jared Patterson, which is critical on the offensive line. We saw how important he was to the team's success this year. But to be honest, I'm not too worried about Notre Dame figuring things out on the offensive line, especially when they got – Two future NFL players at tackle, especially a first-team All-American and Joe Alt. Um, I think they're going to be set there. And at the skill positions, we've already talked about it. There's a lot of a lot of guys made some big strides this year. That's really encouraging. And then you know you can't help but get excited about you know what that offense could look like with Sam Hartman next year. But I do want to talk about Tommy Reese because this season he's been the subject of a lot of criticism. You and I have defended him a ton. And Notre Dame ends the season with 558 yards total offense. They had 264 on the ground, 294 through the air, a very balanced attack. And uh, I know that some people are just going to talk about the the throw when they got into the red area and the, and the pick six that was 100 yards. Obviously, Notre Dame shouldn't have passed there. I think Reese would go back. He'd change it if he could. But I thought it was really impressive, and I think it kind of showed the type of offense that Notre Dame really wanted to run all season. So what did you think of uh, Reese and the way he was able to stamp off this year? That's that's exactly it, right? You finally got to look at what the offense would have probably looked like all season long had Tyler Buckner not been injured, and I think it was promising. Um, there's still obviously some decision-making elements from players that need to really fully iron that thing out, but if you if you're upset about that again, just be happy. Like I, I don't get it. It's it's such a waste of energy just bitching about everything. So that's all I got. Um, some people are just gonna feel how they feel, but just be happy. So after the game, seeing a lot of the players and the coaches talk on social media was pretty interesting. Reese had a great tweet. He kind of called out the Twitter experts saying, "Got it, guys. I'm gonna run the damn ball every time." Tyler Buckner had a hilarious tweet where he had that uh, the video of the guy. He was like, call the ambulance, but not for me. I, I thought they were really soaking it in and enjoying it. And it seems like the staff has a lot of camaraderie. And as of now, we don't expect any departures. But as we have so often learned in college football, even when you think the whole staff is going to say, that doesn't always happen. I mean, last year, 
all these coaches were coming back and that they a lot of them left. So I know as it stands right now, everything looks good. Are there any guys in the staff right now that you think they might get offered a random OC job at wherever? Like, who do you think, if anyone? I know this is all speculation. Yeah, I, ca- I can't it? pin. I can't pinpoint it. I'm just sure that one of that will happen to one guy. I, I just. It, it happens every year without explanation. Um, I don't know who it's going to be, but it, that just feels like one of those is going to happen. I think if I were to guess, and again, this is all speculation. This I'm not reporting this at all. I think it'd probably be Dylan McCullough. He's pretty experienced. He's made it known he wants to be a head coach. I could see him potentially getting offered. I mean, hell, Lance Taylor got offered in a Power 5 offensive coordinator job. Now, I don't even think he was calling plays at Louisville under Scott, Scott Satterfield, but... That's one guy. Chancey Stuckey apparently already turned down a job offer from Auburn, for the, but that was for the same title. I don't expect guys to make lateral moves, but we don't know. And uh, did you see Al Golden was apparently contacted by Cincinnati to replace Mm-mm. Fickle? Mm-mm. I did not see that. <laughs> he quickly shot it down, apparently. So that's encouraging because um, for all the improvements that this team and this staff have made, you need continuity. You need the guys to be together, and, and that's so hard to do in college football, and I feel like if you have the whole staff together for like two years, that's really hard to do and uh, really critical. But then again, like Clemson had the same coordinator tandem for like, what was that, seven years? Yeah, and it ran its course. Yeah, it ran its course, but it was also critical to their five-year run. But that's really all I got in the Gator Bowl. You want to move on to the playoff? Yeah, let's do it. All right, which game do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's talk about the first game, the Fiesta Bowl, because I thought Michigan came out cocky as hell honestly and I, the game ended up being closer than or the score was closer than I think the game actually kind of was um it was 35 to 16 at one point and then Michigan got a couple quick touchdowns but that's kind of just an embarrassing loss for Michigan um you've just been soaking in your own praise for really two months now since you beat Ohio State and just to kind of lay an egg against the worst team to ever make the playoff that's embarrassing uh I, mm. I if I was a Michigan fan I would I would not sleep for a week losing to TCU in a national semifinal like that's a layup that is the biggest layup in the world it's wide open you just brick it basically okay so I have a couple things here they're not the worst team to make the playoff yes they are that Michigan State team I okay I forgot they, about that yes they, lost, they were they were um, really bad yeah they made the playoff I think they are definitively the worst team I like this TCU team man yeah. I, I do. I love Duggan. What what don't you like about him? I they like they have no names outside of the receiver and Duggan. Like yeah, they're just Quinn not Johnson. a very Yeah, that's that's kind of it. They're just and they should have lost like six games this year. But they didn't. <laughs> they just and, beat uh, Michigan. That just, it feels very okay. fluky. Um is is part of this and look, I'm guilty of this too. It pisses me off that in Notre Dame's two trips to the playoffs, they have played two of the greatest college football teams ever assembled. Right, Like in 2018, that Clemson team with Trevor Lawrence was insane. They smoked yeah. Bama. And then in 2020, you get the Alabama team with Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris. Uh, I mean, they were just yeah. so loaded. The fact that Michigan uh, in their second playoff appearance got to play a team like TCU and the fact that TCU was in it and had and a the chance fact to that they Michigan, shit the bed. Yeah. like It would have made me sick if Michigan yeah. made the national championship before us because I would take both of the teams that Notre Dame – took to the playoff over both of the teams in that game yesterday. So I understand that aspect of it where uh, I, I was talking to one of our friends, Jeff Melshammer, who's at that game too. And he said he was jealous. I'm like, look, man, I, I was too. That 
the fact that those teams had the opportunity to go to the national championship, a realistic one that Notre Dame unfortunately did not have, it sucked. Um, I love Duggan. I love Quentin Johnson. And it was so great that after the game, it clearly, I think it was McCarthy had the quote that was like, we're going to bring the Big Ten to the Big 12. That made its way into the TCU locker room. Sonny Dykes brought it up unprompted after the game. So yeah, Michigan fans, they had their moment this year. They were a better team than Notre Dame, but I'm glad that they got a nice little dose of humble pie there at the end. Right. Uh, And it was almost an awful night for them with Ohio State coming inches away. Well, sorry, actually, that field goal was (laughs) feet away, uh, yards away from uh, (laughs) making the national title game themselves. That was another crazy one. It was kind of shocking to see Georgia just get torched basically like that. I was really impressed with C.J. Stroud. That said, I did live bet Georgia when they're down 14 uh, in the fourth quarter at plus 380. You kind of just knew it was going to happen, um, and it did. Uh, I, I was impressed by Kirby Smart's in-game coaching ability when he sniffed out that fake punt and called the timeout. I mean, that that saved their season right there. Uh, if that doesn't happen, Ohio State wins that game, probably going away. So that was very impressive. And, yeah, Georgia now has a chance to repeat, probably a pretty strong chance to do it. And I don't – when's the last time that happened? 2000. 12 yeah that alabama won i think three and four years they won in 09 didn't win 11 and 12 yeah and then they won it in 11 and 12 yes so it hasn't happened in the playoff era so that that would be really impressive i i think it was clear that this team is not as talented as the team that won it last year particularly on defense but i was really impressed by ohio state specifically cj stroud like ohio state fans are truly insane like we're talking about negative notre dame fans Ohio State fans thought C.J. Stroud was a bum because he went 0-2 against Michigan, which is ridiculous. He's going to be a top-five pick in the NFL draft. And I get that they were annoyed with how he didn't run as much as they liked. And then clearly he heard that criticism because he was running all over Georgia at different points in that game. But were you watching that game at all and thinking, like, how did Notre Dame go toe-to-toe with with Ohio State for four quarters? Yeah, um, a little bit, especially particularly on Clarence Lewis uh, and like Jaden Mickey playing out. Well, Jaden Mickey did get torched, yeah, he got, but he um, got but I, yeah, it just kind of seems like an Ohio State thing where they really don't show up unless they feel like they have to, and like they knew they would have to against Georgia. They didn't show up against Michigan. I don't really know how much they showed up against Notre Dame either. It's just they're so nonchalant, kind of lackadaisical. <laughs> it feels like almost until they have to be. How would you feel if you were that kicker? Would you ever show your face in Columbus again? No. And what's that guy's name? Because Noah somebody... Ruggles. Okay, because I'm pretty sure I'm going to look at this really quickly. He hadn't missed a kick in like forever, basically, if I want to say. Um... Dude, if they put a field goal, like an entire goal post, directly next to the one that's in the ground, I still don't know if it would have made it. He okay, was that, that far yeah. off. This is what I saw. Um, he So that guy started his career at uh, North Carolina and three years ago in that crazy six-overtime game they had against Virginia Tech. He also missed that game-winning field goal. So he's uh, he's had he's been on the wrong end of some kind of epic games, uh, and he's been there. So poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy, indeed. I don't. Looking at it, he was nails in between forty and forty nine, but fifty plus, he's zero for five in his career. Yikes! I I know a lot of people were getting pissed at Day, like his play calling after CJ's run. I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, he tried to pass it; it didn't work. But like, 
He didn't just say run it and try to kneel it out. I don't know. What did you think about that? That was a, a big time. I, it, I thought it was a little risky, honestly, some of the stuff they were doing. Like um, the play action? Yeah. I, I I didn't really understand it, but obviously it did not work out. I know. And Ohio State, you think about it, they're definitely one of the premier programs in college football, and they have what? One national championship in the past. Well, I guess the 2002, that was exactly two decades ago, I was going to say within that time frame. So, yeah, that, that fan base, they don't deal with adversity well. So I, I don't even know how they're going to handle this one. They won't. <laughs> All right, so give me your early thoughts in the national championship. I'm, I'm guessing you're taking Georgia on the points. Yeah, I think they'll probably win by like 20. Um, I, I just don't think it's going to be very close. I I'm not doing it. But I, I kind of want to take TCU outright. I also am not sure how I feel about TCU being in the national title game. Like, obviously, I'd rather them than Michigan, but I don't like this concept of a TCU potentially winning the national title. <laughs> but, like, would you rather have Bama win it again or TCU? At least I can accept that because that's, like, a good team. Like, I, I don't know. It's, I just don't like it. I can't <laughs> fully elaborate or articulate it, but that's just how I feel. I just, I, I part of it is me rooting for a close game in the national championship. I really would like to see that just because of how epic those two games were yesterday. But I, here's my mindset. Yes, if you look at it on a roster on paper standpoint, Georgia should blow them out. But Michigan had a top five defense in almost every statistical category, and they controlled an Ohio State offense that torched Georgia. And yet TCU put up 34 points of off, uh, 30, was it 34? No, it was 37. 37 yeah. points of offense on them. And I just didn't think there was anything from Georgia's performance that made me think they aren't at least a little bit vulnerable, especially to a mobile quarterback, an elite wide receiver like TCU has. Now, Georgia might just adopt the strategy that has been working pretty well for him. Just take out the opposing team's best wide receiver. I mean, it worked yeah. for Jamison Williams. And pretty now, smart. It, like, do you think Georgia wins that game if Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't go out? Ooh. I don't know. Uh, they probably don't win the game last year if Jamison Williams stays healthy. I, I don't agree. know how I feel about last night. I couldn't believe the way Stetson Bennett just completely turned it on late in the game. Like, what? I don't even know what to make because there was points in that fourth quarter, like the, uh, when he tried to throw that uh, swing pass to McCollum. Is that McConkey? That's who it is. Yeah, he's trying to throw that swing pass. It was a fumble. I mean, if he doesn't dive in the ball, mm -hmm. that's game. Mm -hmm. And then when the whole season is on the line, he just played outstanding football and just drove Georgia right down the field and scored. Like, I, I don't even know what to make of him anymore. I don't know. When you're 25 years old, it, <laughs> you can do that. So the legend, the legend keeps growing, but that's all I got in the playoff. Um, as we wrap this up here, you got anything else? I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a really fun season. This is uh this has been a lot of fun for us, but that's a wrap for this episode of Sunset Saturday Irish. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode and for joining us all season long, even though the season may be over. The new cycle around this team really never stops. So we'll be back again at some point soon, hopefully, uh, with the news of a incoming quarterback at Notre Dame. But you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Sat Irish to stay updated on all of that. And please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. For Luke and myself, Happy New Year, and enjoy the last week of the college football season, and we will talk to you again soon.